0: You're listening to Sober Exposure with me, Jennifer Wilde. If it's about recovery, we're gonna cover it. It's like a big group therapy session, but it's free. (gasps) Welcome to Sober Exposure with me, Jennifer Wilde. Let's go. hello family it is sober exposure and I am Jennifer Wilde and I got to tell you I never get nervous behind the mic. Stephen Tyler once said I could get in front of thousands and thousands of people and perform and I'm never nervous but when I speak at an AA meeting I get nervous. The only reason why I'm a little bit uh, shaky here is because this is a subject of codependency and addicts hate codependence when they get well because that means we we lose our caretakers. That means that no one's gonna let us in the house. When we need somewhere to go, when we wanna kind of just like clean up, take a shower and get some food, you know? I'm gonna start with a really, really inappropriate joke about Al Anon. What's the Al Anon handshake? Uh, pointing the finger. So, anyway, <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, obviously, we're gonna be talking about a very, very serious subject, and that's uh, codependency, which I believe most addicts ourselves, we struggle. With codependency, we'll explain what codependency is if you don't know. And uh, most addicts have a codependent in their life. And if you're a parent, most likely you, if you have an addict in your life, are codependent on your addict. My guest today did a remarkable job with her son and how she handled her son's addiction. I also, I'm not, I'm not coming out with this because I want sympathy. I just want to say that I could get real emotional during this episode. Uh, my mother was an extreme codependent that never did get help. And I've talked about how, you know, severe my addiction was and how many years I struggled with addiction. And basically codependency, the disease, which it is a disease of codependency, killed my mother. She, she dropped dead of a heart attack because she never got her help. She was so crazy and so sick with not being able to detach from her, you know, her, her, her loved ones, uh, her disease, which were people that it actually, um, inevitably did kill her. So I, I want to bring you Shannon C. Shannon, welcome to Sober Exposure. Mm-hmm. It is my pleasure. I met Shannon. Actually, I, I found her, um, I don't know where I found her. I found her online <laughs> and she had a family show with her son, Andrew, who's a young boy, and and he's sober and they all talk about his sobriety and then i found out that Shannon herself is a therapist and maybe that's one of the reasons why uh he was able to you know get well at such an early age so my first question Shannon um how old was andrew when he got sober and do you think that it was because of maybe your background in in therapy that that helped him to get Help sooner?
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. It is an honor and a pleasure. And uh, that is a a fantastic question. And I do, I do absolutely believe that uh, my history in uh, mental health, working in mental health, uh, contributed greatly to my son hitting rock bottom a lot faster. Um, And I want to also say that I am a daughter of an alcoholic. Uh, who is in recovery. And I believe that that also contributed. So, as you can imagine, uh, growing up with somebody who was in recovery, I also had a lot of exposure to AA. And my mother also um, encouraged me to go to Al Anon and Alateen and um, adult children of alcoholics. So, hmm. even before getting my master's in professional counseling, I also had um, some knowledge.
0: Okay. So that's proving once again what I always say is you really can't you can't teach this stuff in books. And and you know, all due respect to therapists out there that don't struggle with addiction or don't have it in their lives. But uh, I think Shannon, because you did experience all of this, maybe is is why you did have success. Now paint a picture to me. Just just tell me a little bit. The Cliff Notes version of the story. We don't want to make this about your son because we will have him on and he will tell us the story. But Cliff Notes version of what happened with your son, how you know how he he got where he he was and how he did get help. I mean, actually, you can't do that in a Cliff Notes version. But just you know, tell us a little bit about your background,
1: right? And and I'll you know I'll definitely uh, briefly go into it. You know, it's a it's a very you know common story. Uh, my son started with marijuana. Um, as, you know, most most young people do um, in his teen years. Uh, and and I, can t- I could tell at the time, you know, just having had the knowledge and history that I have, that he used marijuana much like an addict does, right? Um, he definitely was uh, um, <laughs> very profusely using uh, marijuana. And, you know, at the time, of course, you know, we do this justification as parents and this negotiation with ourselves, Uh, Well, it's just marijuana, right? Um, And, you know, I could have been a lot more strict at that time, but we'll talk about that later. Um, He then, um, at about 19, came to me and had a conversation and said, you know, marijuana is not working for me anymore. And, you know, me... (laughs) being, being that, uh, I was the parent and not the clear headed thinking therapist that, you know, I could have been at the time. Uh, I had a period of elation because of course I wanted him to not be using anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that was short lived because of course, as a true, um, person that, you know, had a, had an, gene for addiction, a you know, genetic predisposition to, to addiction or alcoholism, he quickly moved on to the next sub- substance, which in our family is, is uh, usually alcohol. Um, so he very quickly became um, a binge drinker that turned into daily drinking um, to very, very severely physically addicted to alcohol. And um, between the ages of 19 to 22... Um, he was, you know, uh, extremely physically addicted to alcohol. Uh, it happened very quickly. Uh, we went through, you know, several attempts at, uh, detox and, and he did have some you know, brief attempts at sobriety, um, which he calls now looking back, um, abstinence from alcohol, not true recovery. Right. And yeah. he, you know, he, um, broke out into hives quite a bit. you know we had several trips to the to the hospital. There was a, a superficial uh suicide attempt just due to the guilt and shame um you know he knew that he was just in a very very you know dark place um he he was just in in bad shape and so, he just yes. he, he so, decided right. very quickly.
0: So you believe that the the suicide attempt was pretty much like a cry out for help, like help me uh, not so much. I want to die. And is is that how you took it?
1: Absolutely. Because at that point, um, you know, he even describes that once we um, had him 5150, he felt a huge relief. Because mm-hmm. then he was in a safe place. Yes.
0: Okay, so fifty one fifty to me is a Van Halen album. <laughs>
1: that's, a, <laughs> that's the name of a Van Halen album.
0: Uh, in, in Florida, it's Baker Acted. Um, it basically means that you are uh, you are like mandated to um, um, some sort of a institution, a mental hospital, for three days where you're evaluated, and right. yeah, so. This is happening. His disease is progressing because that is that is the number one symptom of alcoholism and addiction is it's progressive. It started with marijuana, then the marijuana turned to alcoholism. And then next thing you know, there's a suicide attempt and there's withdrawal symptoms. And uh, I do like what you said about how that was abstinence, not recovery. That's a whole other, a whole other subject. Right. But, so- are you noticing friends changing? Are you noticing like he's lack of interest in things that he used to be interested in? Any, any tattoos, piercings? No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, so. all, all of the above, Jennifer. All of the above. Uh, he came home with a skull tattooed on his neck. Um, <sighs> I nearly lost it. Uh, you know, I'm not a judgmental person. I actually am a very person centered mental health professional. You know, I I definitely have you know I practice extreme compassion. Um, and empathy, but that moment was a very difficult one for me. Um, so, so <laughs> yes, uh, his friends, you know, e- they couldn't deal. You know, they they abandoned him. He was very isolated. Um, his drinking was alone. Um, you know, every day, all day. It was he was very incoherent uh, much of the time. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Lack of interest. He lost jobs, got a DUI, um, legal trouble, got arrested for drunken public. It was very classic, a very, very classic, severe disease that progressed yeah. quickly. Yeah. Textbook, alcoholic addicts. Absolutely.
0: Uh, uh, ex- okay. So here's, here's what my mother did when all of that happened to me. My mother would, um, she'd bail me out of jail. Okay. Every single time, uh, she'd get me the best lawyers. She'd get me out of trouble. Um, uh, I did the tattoo inside the ankle and a blackout in California once in, in the early nineties. And then I woke up with it. I was, I was unhappy. Even I was crying and we're Jewish. So we're not supposed to do that. You know, so, uh, you know, she, she paid to get it lasered off. And then some hot guy was like, Oh, Jen, you know what? That's not that's not coming off so easily. I'll I'll cover it up again and whatever. So that was another issue. And then I was was like, Mom, the guy's really hot. Can I borrow some money so I can get it covered? She gave me the money. Like I'm just telling you, like I ruled her world. She could not say no. She said the woman. I just like rolled over her like a like a bulldozer. So my question is, when he got arrested, all of these things. What did you do at the beginning? And did you turn the other cheek? Were you in denial? Like. How, how do you handle this?
1: Okay, so I did the exact opposite, because let me tell you why. When I was working in mental health, my I want to clarify, my specialty is not addiction, okay? Mm-hmm. My specialty was treating those with severe and persistent mental illness. However, we all know that that comes with its own, you know, um, set of substance use, right, and abuse. So i I had been exposed to a lot of clients that you know, had substance use issues and their families. So I had seen a lot of families um, that were extremely codependent and I had seen the result of this. And so when it was my turn uh, with my son, I decided from the beginning to do the exact opposite. I decided that I was going to let him experience every single consequence there was and, and uh, right away. So when, like you referred to, the, the legal troubles, jail, um, losing jobs, uh, financial, all, all of the consequences that we refer to, right, as wreckage, I let him deal with it all on his own. I did not facilitate transportation to any of the DUI classes when he lost his, his uh, license and his vehicle. I let him, um, I let him get arrested and go to jail. I did not bail him out. Um, I kicked him out of the home several times. I did not let him into my home when he was, um, when he was intoxicated. Um, mm. I let him sleep in bushes. I let him get arrested for drunk in public. I knew when, when I kicked him out, he was so intoxicated that there was no way he was not going to get arrested. And he had no vehicle. So, you know, he he was going to be wandering the streets, extremely okay. intoxicated.
0: So there's people that are listening and there's a couple things, a couple questions, a couple comments, a couple things, a couple stories, so much to say on this. Um, A, we need to, I mean, obviously me just knowing what I know, I understand why, but there's some people that are listening that their mouths are probably open right now, being like, <laughs> right. How right. could she do this to her son? Oh my God, what a bitch. You know, right. like yes. how could she do this? And and we need to explain the whys. Okay. Um the other the other question or uh, yeah the other question after we explain the why is the how. Because right. I I know as a mother I mean, my, my son's not there yet, and, and God willing, I pray every day that it skips a generation and that he doesn't become an addict. Uh, however, I know for a fact that I am such a wuss that, God forbid, I, I really don't know that I have the the tools or the wherewithal to be able to do that. I mean, I really think that I would be like my mother and that I, I would... I honestly have to say, you know, I work on my own sobriety and I work my program, and and you know, I can stay clean and sober myself. But I don't know that I would have my Al Anon program in check. I believe that I probably would allow him back in the house, bail him out of jail, and do everything my mother did out of guilt and shame of I don't know. So the question is, why do we do that? Why do we let them reach their bottom? And then how? How the hell? Do you do that? I was talking to someone would work in treatment and somebody was telling me that they have the same problem with their with their kid. And I, and I was saying, well, this is what you're supposed to do. And she's like, Jennifer, I can't. I can't. I have to bring him back in the house. I just can't do it. And that's how my mother was, you know, and it killed her. And then what it did was allowed, well, I'm going to, I'm not going to say what it did to me. I'm going to let you, you explain that. So there we go. You got the floor. Shannon.
1: Okay. Now I do want to clarify something um, because it's extremely important that I mention some of the things that I did do aside from what I just mentioned. It's extremely important to walk the line. I am not in any way, shape or form advocating not intervening when a child or, or a young adult, especially, um, needs medical attention. So don't get me wrong, when my son was in active DTs, um, convulsing, um, not having a seizure, those are two different things, when he would have convulsive activity due to um, you know the medical issues that come along with active alcoholism, or when he was extremely dehydrated, alcohol poisoned, don't get me wrong, I did uh, take care of him medically, meaning I intervened. I I I called 911. I made sure he got um, to the hospital. And when he was um, actively telling me that he wanted help and wanted to get sober, I was there by his side, loving him through it. So I had to walk a very fine line, right? And I think that's the the difficult thing with from the parents' point of view. Where do you where where is that line between enabling and loving and, and intervening when they do need that medical help and that, you know, care. So I want to make it clear that there were many times that I did have to intervene in that sense. Mm -hmm. Now I had to use my best judgment in almost on a daily basis. Um, but it was very important And this is where the why comes in. It was very important for me to allow him to experience all of the consequences of his behavior because he he had to hit what we call rock bottom in order for him to want to seek help and get better and to save his own life. If he didn't experience the consequences of his behavior, he would stay sick, right? And if I bailed him out every time, took care of him, had a little cushy place for him to fall, if i if I fed him, and did his laundry and and paid his bills and and bailed him out legally and didn't allow him to go to jail, he would never understand the pain and the consequences of his own behavior. And this could have gone on for years and years and years,
0: yeah. take him to Nordstrom. My mother would be like, "Oh, Okay, so you slept off the hangover and you're okay now and you swear you're not gonna do it. Okay. As long as you
1: promise you're not gonna do it, sweetheart,
0: then we'll go to Nordstrom. I kid you. Right. Not. It's
1: just it's positive reinforcement. <laughs> it's reinforcing the behavior, right? <laughs> oh, that poor lady. Oh my god. And yeah, and so. really what that is, and you talk about codependency, right? Is that all that, that is is helping her pain, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I had to reach really, and and don't get me wrong, Jennifer, this almost killed me. Yeah. Uh, it, I was, I was suffering. You say how? Yeah. Well, I mean, I. It's not like this was a pleasant uh, period of time in my life. I was not practicing the best, you know, self care possible. I mean, I was very thin. I was, I was. Yeah. You know, it was it was tough, but I knew either I rip off the band-aid and experience the extreme pain now and very quickly, or I'm going to experience this pain for a very long time.
0: I love that you said that. That is that's the key right there. And like either way, you're going to be suffering. Either way, you're either going to suffer with your with with the addict out there. The insanity over and over again, using and 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 not knowing where are they, what are they doing? Oh my God, they're in jail. Oh my God, you're 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 obsessed with your your drug, which is the addict, or you're going to be in pain because you're you're doing the right thing and you're shutting them off and you're not allowing them to rule your 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 life. So either way, you're going to be in pain. So you might as well do the healthy thing and rip off the band aid so they reach their bottom so they realize. That no one's gonna take care of them, and they have to they, they have to do something about it themselves. So they're not getting enabled, you know. I mean, I'm not using the word right, but I, I'm feeling very emotional right now. This is why I usually I'm never in a loss for words, but it's it's just. I mean, I, I could I could just like cry when I think about um, like. I mean, there's been, there's like a story. I just can't, I just think about this and then I, I just don't want to make this about myself, but you know, this is just how sick it is. Like my mom had asthma, she couldn't breathe. And it was one night I just wanted to go out and use. And I was staying at her house, taking advantage of her. Like I, I would do things like she was so codependent. I would do things like, I just can't even, I'm not even ready to say that one, but I mean, I run out of her house, and she's chasing me at four in the morning. Please don't go! I can't breathe. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop dead. I can't breathe. And I'm running. I was like, "Fuck you, mom! I don't care. I'm going." You know? And she couldn't like breathe, and she was just about to drop dead. And I mean, just over and over again, (sighs) terrible. And then she would be so scared. She would be so scared that you know I was gonna die. At the end, she would she would be in the car when I would go. Caught my drugs, she would go with me. Oh, That's how sick goodness. she got. That's how sick she got. She would this 76 year old, cute, adorable little Jewish woman would be like in the hood when I would like oh caught my, my drugs.
1: God. That gives Shake me the chills. Oh yeah. my goodness. I just totally got chills. That's oh my. You know, yeah. it, you you talk about um you just mentioned it, you know, she was so scared that you were going to die. Right. And mm-hmm. I think parents out there that, you know, maybe listening to this, who have, uh, you know, uh, children that are going through this or young adults, adults that are going through this. Um, it is a very real fear. And for me, the key was acceptance, you know, in working with, with mental, in mental health, Acceptance is is huge in in all aspects of, you know, treating any mental health issue. And so I knew during that time I had to get to a place of acceptance. So part of that for me was just reaching into the bottom of my soul and accepting that he may die. Mm -hmm. And having those honest conversations, you know, especially with my family And once I could get to that place, which was excruciatingly painful, I could go ahead and do the things that I had to do. And it is, I understand that it's almost impossible for parents to do that. But for your mom, that's what she obviously was struggling with, right? Not being able to get to that point of being able to accept that you may die from your disease and they're therefore being able to let go and doing what, what she may have needed to do for you to save your own life.
0: Well, yeah, she thought that, um, she, she couldn't, she couldn't accept her powerlessness either. She thought that she had the power to stop it.
1: Oh yeah. No, that I knew I exactly. I knew if I could, if I cut off my own arm in front of the kid, he would still be drinking. I, I knew the alcohol had won at that point.
0: What can you tell parents that are so, so much like my mother that don't, they can't accept, they don't understand the powerlessness or someone like me that, like, I know that I don't think that I would have the strength. I h- how do you get that? What do you do? Do you turn to God? Do you, is it is it anon Do we go to a program? How do we detach? How do we detach? How do you do it?
1: You know, for I still um, you know, I still felt extremely close to him the whole time and I still I mean, he's my little pee in my pod, you know, I love mm-hmm. that kid. I was always extremely close to him and I stayed very close to him, but I had to, I had to just accept that this disease was far more powerful than any influence that I could possibly have over him. Um, and that just came with, like I said, knowledge of addiction. So I would say to any parents out there, Become extremely knowledgeable on addiction, um, whether that is through Al-Anon, or find a therapist who is very well-versed on addiction, and and it has to be a subspecialty. Uh, Like you referred to earlier, Jennifer, and this was very, very important for you to bring up, and I'm so glad that you did, um, there are a lot of therapists out there that are wonderful, but there are, are not... Um, many who have the the subspecialty of addiction. And I don't mean just treating those who are actively addicted or seeking to become sober, but those who who deal in family systems um, with uh, active um, addicts and alcoholics within the family system, right? So it's very important that people who are dealing with somebody who, say, is a wife, husband, daughter, son, loved one, um, it's very important that um, people seek out therapists who have experience in this area yeah. and become I mean, it, very educated on this.
0: Yeah. It, I mean, it is a family It's, it's definitely a family disease and we're talking about mother and child, but, I mean, it's terrible for husband, wife, when you're struggling, when you're a wife and 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 your husband is is a drinker. My mother also struggled with that because my father was an alcoholic. So the poor thing went through that. or your wife is an alcoholic. that dynamic. I mean, there's just so many different dynamics, siblings. And I feel like it's it's different for every dynamic. Like you're going to feel different when it's your kid than if it's your husband. And it needs to be probably, uh, it's, it's 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 the same treatment. Just like you treat alcoholism the same way as you treat drug addiction. I feel like—is am I correct? You would treat if your son is the addict, or if your husband's the addict, you would pretty much treat it the same. It could get a little bit tricky because if it's your husband's house and you can't really kick your husband out of out of his own, like it, it, there's a little bit different dynamics. But um, yeah. So definitely a family disease. I see what you're saying. Family, family therapy. Somebody that's definitely schooled in um, addiction. You don't want to go to just any any therapist that you Google off the street. You really need to to find somebody that's that's really. And what what I've what I found too is just even up up here. That's why I like the twelve step meeting so much. You know, um, just someone else that's going through what you're going through, right?
1: Absolutely. And that and thank you for mentioning that, because I was going to add um, in addition to Al-Anon, which provides the peer uh, part of this um, and, and, you know, therapy, whether it's individual or or family, depending on who you can um, kind of, you know, corral to go with you. um, There are also family support groups, and these are often um, associated with recovery centers or rehabs. Um, but they are open to the community oftentimes. So oh. those are uh, good resources as well and provide that peer part. Um, so I would say those three are really important. Um, I went to family support groups that were open to the community and it w- they were filled with, like you said, um, you know, wives of, of addicts, alcoholics, uh, mothers, sisters, and brothers. And it, that was very, very helpful because it brings that comfort and that solace, you know, knowing that you're not alone and it brings other people's perspectives. And it just, you know, because when you go through this, you, you do feel alone. It's such an otherworldly experience. Um, and it's, it's very isolating not only for you not only for the addict alcoholic but also for the family member
0: yeah i mean it's it is got to be the hardest thing to do and i myself i i have it too i mean i'm codependent i have and it doesn't only have to be substance abuse. Like you could, you could be, um, codependent on somebody with mental illness, somebody that has, you know, mental illness or just family dysfunction in general. It's just, I mean, dysfunctional relationships. I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about the, um, you know, the highest level of codependency is with substance abuse, but, I mean, codependency doesn't have to be so much with an addict. Like I could be codependent with my boyfriend who doesn't take substances at all. You know, we're just enmeshed, immeshed relationships. That's like a whole nother thing, right? Right. <laughs> but <absolutely>. you, have, <laughs> you know, when you have and, and I, I tend to do that, I call them emotional vampires, but that's <laughs> that, that's that's a whole other subject. So um, walk me through. Actually, like, walked walk the um, anyone that's going through this. Walk them through what they would do if the addict is showing signs that they want to get help. What would you do? Where would the what, what would you tell them? Where would you tell them to go? Um, that's later. Also, intervention. What 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 would you do? Is do they work? What do you think of an intervention? Um, how would you go about an intervention? What do you think?
1: So. Well, first, I can just describe briefly what happened with Andrew. Um, yes. So, it, you know, it, it's it's so difficult because, you know, a family member, a parent, etc., can call any number of resources, right? Um, rehabs, community programs, uh, there's all kinds of, of places, but Unfortunately, the addict alcoholic is the one, especially if they're an adult, right, that has to talk to the resource. So, oh. <laughs> I, you know, if they're not ready or even coherent enough to speak to that place, then it goes nowhere. So it's very tough for the families, as we all know. Um, so, as far as advice, especially if somebody's indigent, if they don't have any insurance, you really have to wait until the addict alcoholic is ready and coherent enough to be able to have those conversations. So if they're not ready to get help, I would say the family members should not spin their wheels and make a bunch of phone calls and reach out to, you know, a bunch of resources. It's it's really a waste of time.
0: Yeah, you know, that that brings me to like one of my favorite quotes. It says like don't be afraid of losing the person. Be afraid of losing yourself by trying to please everyone around you. Exactly. You know, like you, you lose yourself in in trying to help someone that's not ready. And exactly. Like me as an addict, I can tell you and anyone that knows me and knows my story. Yeah. Like there was nothing. I had to be completely ready till I got sober. I mean, I've been in yeah, treatment so exactly.
1: And that's what Andrew said, because the night, I mean, I I did just like any good parent reach out to resources, right? But it was a total waste of time because he was not coherent enough to speak to any of them. And they were like, well, we need to speak to him. And I knew that, of course, having worked in mental health. And I'm like, well, that was a waste of time. Um, So by the time he had hit truly rock bottom, it, it was the last time I had kicked him out and he slept in a bush. Um, And I believe he had been arrested again. And, you know, it just it was a mess. And he finally, the next morning, it was 530 in the morning or something. He said, I'm ready to get help. (sighs) And then, of course, he was able to speak to a place. And and then that rehab came and picked him up. And he spent 90 days in inpatient and then went to their outpatient and then spent two years in a sober living. and. So he had to be the one to be ready and verbalize that and then speak to the intake. So any efforts that I had made prior to that to talk to any resources were completely futile.
0: Right. And let me emphasize by saying, Shannon, I do believe that if you didn't continuously like if he didn't get if he wasn't in that bush, if he was sleeping in his in his cush bed with his pillow under his sheets Comfortable getting to use his alcohol in his room, he wouldn't have reached out for help that day. No, you know exactly. So that is exactly why I'm doing this podcast. Is I, I I find it's just so important for because it's so hard, and I can't emphasize enough. And this is why I'm doing the podcast because right there we nailed it on the dot. Andrew was sleeping in a bush because <laughs> Shannon wouldn't let him in as hard as it was. Okay. Right. He probably got arrested. He and did. And the next day, yeah, he I got arrested.
1: Third, I think it was the third time Yeah, that he got arrested. Yeah.
0: Yes. Hence the next day he goes and he gets his help. Shannon lets him in the house and he's sleeping in his cushy bed with his nice comforter and his music in his room and, and all, all the luxuries that he has of of home and then wakes up and has a beautiful breakfast and he gets to a nurse's hangover. He does the whole thing again the next day. Okay. And then maybe Shannon would have a little relief, um, short term. Oh, my, my boy's home and safe, but then he would do it again. And then who knows next time he does it, maybe he dies of alcohol poisoning, kills someone in a car accident. God knows what.
1: You're absolutely right. And, and, you know, today, three years later, he's been sober for a little bit over three years. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he will even tell you how grateful he is that I did not enable him, that that was key in him hitting rock bottom faster. You know, he works a program and he holds himself accountable and he's a responsible, amazing young man who works in detox and helps others get sober. And it's, and he will tell you. Because, you know, AA is a program that encourages people to do a moral inventory and to be accountable and to be honest and to make amends. And he has had to do that work. And he does tell me that that was a huge part of him reaching the point that he he did reach and and to be ready to get help.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I, I did this and I had you on basically because I'm an addict and everything I do is still selfish and uh, selfish, self-centered, you know, that's what we are. <laughs> and uh, I, I needed this lesson for myself because like, I mean, the hardest challenge for me as a parent, even without my son being an addict is the word no, you know, it's hard for me to accept that word and it's hard for me to say that word. And basically what you did to save your son's life was no. And we, uh, our kids, they they want discipline. They do. And I mean, I don't even realize my son, I just can't say no to him. And, And he's struggling, you know? And I know down the line, he is going to appreciate the discipline, if, yeah. if if he freaking ever got it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it speaks volumes when you tell me that now your son comes back and says, thank you, you know, thank you for for, for not enabling. And I mean, my mother did the best she could. And I love my mother from the bottom of my soul. And she just didn't, she never knew any better, you know, and she she just, she was a remarkable woman. And, you know, I just want to cherish her memory. However, you know, she, it was like someone that died of cancer that couldn't beat cancer. She just she couldn't beat her disease of codependency. She had it so terminal. She just had it so terminal and and, and she and thought she was me.
1: doing the right thing, you know, without yeah. the knowledge. It it's, you know, people think that they are doing what they need yeah. to do and and that makes sense right because right. they're trying to take care of their children well That's yeah like, and, you know. and the, the
0: thing is is she did she was given the knowledge she just didn't want to she didn't want to do anything with the knowledge um so you know it's like an addict that goes to treatment and then goes back out and uses again she just she just right. didn't get it you know so uh, you know, we, we can't fault yeah we can't fault her for that it's like you know right
1: I mean, I do want to add though, and this is very important. If you don't mind, I do want to add this because I think it's doing the the actions that I did was extremely important. But I think there's also an added piece, and that is, I always told my son throughout the entire time that he was actively drinking, actively in his addiction. I told him, "I do not judge you. I love you. Um, This does not." Say anything about your character. i I didn't allow people to stigmatize him. Um, I want to make it very clear that i I loved him through it, and I never showed him any anger. I never uh, showed him any negative emotion. Mm-hmm. I simply made the decisions that I knew I had to make for him to be able to get help faster. Does that make sense? Like, I, because That's I think, awesome. we ha- you know what I mean? I think we have to understand that addiction should not be, it should not be a reflection of somebody's character. And I think we should love people through it, but also make the right decisions as far as boundaries and, and not enable.
0: I love you, Shannon. Thank you. And and what you're saying basically is, through it all, you loved your son unconditionally. You loved right. him unconditionally, but you just gave him the proper medicine to get better. Is what you did because you knew how.
1: Right. And I just think that part's important because there were times that, um, you know, we did have to call nine one one due to his medical frailty in the moment, and you know he was very much stigmatized at the hospital and and not treated very well and that really made me very angry and that's the last thing that people struggling with addiction need is to be treated less than or stigmatized mm-hmm. and certainly yeah. not by their own family
0: yeah well i i can i can tell you um a couple of stories about that myself. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you can. <laughs> been a victim once or twice as well. And, you know, thank you so much for that. And I, I, I believe a lot of that comes with the fact that you, you know, you come from a family of addiction, your mother. And so, um, what, you know, one of the, another reason why I have this podcast is to normalize sobriety, not to make, you know, just, just, to break the stigma of addiction, I mean it's okay to have cancer and diabetes, but God forbid, you know somebody somebody's an alcoholic or an addict. You know, you're so.
1: absolutely right. And you know, had I t- you I love that you said that because I even said that in my podcast. You know, had I taken my son in with a, in a diabetic coma or you know with stage four cancer, which are both terminal illnesses, or or one is a terminal illness and the other is a very serious illness. Um, I would have gotten so much, you know, sympathy and, and, and a social worker would have, you know, come, you know, with resources, but, you know, I take him in with, you know, severe terminal you know, alcoholism and, and I'm treated like I'm a pariah, you know? So it's, it's just sad. It's sad that that still exists.
0: Yeah. I want the, the old Jennifer Wilde would be swearing and saying bad words right now because it makes me so mad. That upsets me so much. And I, you know, but. Uh, These days I I have learned to control my temper, so I'm not going to do that. Um, But, but yeah, the fact that that still goes on really pisses me off and you know, it's, it's happened to me too, but we have come somewhat, um, a, a little bit of a, we we've come some, some, some way because we
1: have, we have,
0: uh, yeah, some way the fact that I could even come out and have this podcast and talk about this and, um, you know be candid about my addiction and still have a job well wait no wait no that doesn't make sense cuz i work in a treatment center no, I just- <laughs> <laughs> right I, I just i just got to i got to i just got to rab- i got to rab- tell the story one more time cuz it's just so classic you know i'm in the interview for this job for the treatment center and they're asking me it's like so what are your qualifications oh i am a really severe drug addict <laughs> oh that's great how many times you been arrested? I don't know. I can't count. Awesome. Oh yeah, she's a winner. You know, <laughs> highly qualified. <laughs> exactly. That was my qualification. So,
1: awesome.
0: so, all right. So Andrew's doing amazing. I would love to have him on the show. And uh, just let's wrap it up, Shannon. By sure. Oh, just kind of give us a, a, a wrap up of what you. Uh, we, we said it already, but. Basically, what would you tell anybody out there who has a child right now that is in the midst of deep, dark addiction? What would you tell them?
1: Well, I would say, you know, definitely get help for yourself because, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I would definitely take care of myself, um, better because I really went through the ringer. I mean, I, I was not doing well mentally. Um, and so I sit here and give this, you know, advice to you know, go to therapy and I definitely should have done that. I, I'm in therapy now, um, mm-hmm. for not that, but for other things. And I, you know, I should have followed that, um, my own advice, I guess, uh, that I'm giving now in hindsight. Um, so I say definitely take care of yourself because you're no good to anybody unless your mental state is, you know, intact. Um, and then, you know, like I said, Al-Anon and family support groups are key because you definitely feel alone and isolated. It's it's such a, a crazy experience. Um, number two, you're not going to be perfect in your decisions. Um, even if you, you know, tr- attempt to not enable, you're, you're not going to know what the exact right thing to do is all the time. Just do your best. Um, you know, seek, seek counsel from those who, who have more experience in this, meaning, you know, the old timers at Al-Anon who have been dealing with this for years, um, they're definitely people that can help um, decipher, you know, the situations that you encounter. Um, and, and, you know, you can definitely make phone calls to them. There are phone call lists that are passed around. Um, and then, you know, last, last, I would just say there is hope, you know, when I thought that all hope was lost, when I thought that he would definitely drink himself to death. And that was a very real possibility. Um, you know, he, he decided to get help and he's doing amazing. He's a 25 year old self-supporting extremely responsible and healthy young man. And so when you feel like, you know, everything is the darkest that it could ever be, know that people do get better.
0: That's awesome. Also a great book. It's sort of like the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, Codependent No More, Melanie Betty. (laughs) (laughs) Great book. Yeah. It's like, it's like uh, the Led Zeppelin, uh, how Led Zeppelin is like, you know, the, the, main rock and roll band of rock and roll Melanie Betty's that's the main the main book for codependency it's like codependency 101 so anyway Shannon pleasure I know we'll be talking to you again this is Jennifer Wilde and you have it on Sober Exposure and have a great week need more? of course you do the show's all about needing more go to my website at SoberExposure.show or get stuck on my Instagram at SoberExposure underscore podcast